This is Chapter 7 in a series of media resources accompanying the Starting Point Conversation Guide. Rebel Yell is a message delivered at North Point Community Church by Andy Stanley. Believe it or not, the Bible is full of stories of people who ran from God. In fact, their stories sound much like ours. In this message, Andy explains why rebellion is natural for all of us and what we can do about it. We've all uh, done some stupid stuff in our life. Um, you know, you, you, your, your brother told you for sure the stock was going up and uh, he was wrong. Was, you know, I was stupid. Um, you know, she was cute and surely she could become a Christian later. You know, that, that was stupid. And he had like a really cool car, so he figured he'd be a really cool person. And that, that, that was kind of stupid. And, you know, all of us could, could share stories today of mistakes. We would say those are mistakes. I mean, we, you know, maybe we should have seen it coming. But we weren't trying to get in trouble and we weren't trying to do the wrong thing. We just, you know, we just... You know, added wrong, subtracted wrong, considered wrong, didn't think far enough ahead. And we look back and it's kind of embarrassing, those little stories, those chapters or seasons or a generation of our life where we just look back and go, you know, that was just, that was just kind of some stupid decision. We've got a bunch of those. But then there are those decisions where um, we knew going in, you know, there's right and there's wrong. And we just kind of got a, kind of got a big grin on our face and decided just going to do the wrong thing. And, and if you tell me it's wrong, I'll just look at you and go, I know. I know it'll kill me. I know it'll hurt me. I know. But you know what? You just, we just kind of got all bowed up on the inside and decide, by God, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it anyway. Right? Remember that? Can anybody remember a time in your life you did that? Yeah. See, when I ask that question, everybody gets a grin on their face. Says, yeah, I remember that. And you remember in that season or that moment or that spring break or that weekend or that, you know, that year, or maybe some of you are still in it right now. Do you remember how empowering it feels to be kind of a rebel? It's just empowering. It's like, I know the rules, but the rules were made for somebody else. Because I'm just going to do what I want to do. And you know, in that moment, there's a euphoria that goes with being a rebel. In that euphoria, you feel like you're a category of one. There is nobody as cool. There is nobody as slick. There is nobody as just whatever it is you think you are. There is nobody quite like you. Nobody's ever been about this passionate about life. Nobody's ever been this confident. And there's a music always playing in the background to kind of keep the, you know, kind of keep the vibe going, you know. In fact, all of us probably can think back to a season that we can pull that song out. And every time we hear that song, it's like, yeah. You know, and you can remember what you drove. You remember who you were driving with. You remember, you know, kind of brings back all those memories. There's always a soundtrack the rebel, you know, and there's just something very empowering about the rebel. And, and when you're in that mindset, and maybe it's a mindset you go to every weekend or you go to two, three times a summer, or maybe you live, try to live in it all the time. The whole time you're there, you are confident of this. You're absolutely confident. This is going to take me somewhere good. And when I get there, everybody's going to look at me and say, sure wish I was him. Sure wish I was her. Sure wish my life ended up the way theirs did because we're just, we just know that, and you know, anybody else tries to break the rules, they get burned. But for some reason, we are so sure it is all about us and we're going to be fine. And besides, and you won't say this out loud unless it's to a friend, so let me just say it for you. Besides, you look around at everybody else and you think, loser. It's losers. There's little people. They're losers. And in fact, you're in a kind of a state of rebellion right now and you look at me, I know what you think. You think, Loser preacher. I mean, even though I'm, even though I'm saying this and I'm talking about you, you're not offended. I mean, you're not put off like somebody brought you to church today and they're going, oh no, this isn't a good topic. You don't care. Cause see, when you're kind of in the, in the zone, you know, the rebel zone, it's like, you don't care. 
I mean, go ahead and tell me this is wrong and that I'm going to screw up my family and screw up my health. Go ahead and tell me. And I'll look at you right in the eye and go, I don't care. I'm not doing this because I don't know. I know and I'm doing it anyway. That's just that's just kind of, you know, that's the rebel thing. You just you just go for it. And the thing that's amazing, it's so incredibly empowering. And you feel in that moment when you're kind of in that zone that you're all alone and there's nobody just like you. Now, if you are kind of in that zone now, I want you to watch this. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about and you have been there at some point in your life? Would you raise your hands way up? Oh, you mean I wasn't the only one? No, see, this is this is the this is the myth of the rebel. The rebel feels like there again. It's it's all about me. There's no one ever anybody like me. What, what we're about to discover is that rebellion is so common. It's in all of us. That everybody at some point has gotten in the car, turned up the music, or called her up, or you know answered the phone, or went in the deal, or got the deal, or tried. You know, everybody has a story about that that chapter of their life, or that summer, or that weekend, or those three or four years of that live-in deal where you were just going to break all the rules, and you were absolutely confident it was going to take you somewhere good. Now. Today, what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to talk to, um, to all the rebels. And, and you think, well, <laughs> it's like church and, and they're not here. Oh, yeah, you are. Because every once in a while, I know, every once in a while you just show up to just, just you know, again, confirm the fact that you're like so different from everybody else. And they're all the church losers, little people. And you go get in your car or whatever and roar off and go, ah, you know, just what I thought. So you check in every once in a while or somebody invited you today and you're kind of getting them off your case. So you're here and you know that we, we, we all check in and you're not offended by this message. Because you've already thought through and you know the whole thing. But I want to talk to all the rebels. And, I, and let me be clear. I'm not talking about people who have like a style. Like you like you dress different. So you think, oh, I'm cool. I'm a rebel. No, no. You just have a style. That's okay. And you, again, you know you're not the only one. There's a whole bunch of you out there somewhere. If you all got together, you wouldn't even like what you wore because there would be too many of you wearing it. So you're, there's that. And then and then there's like the music style. So I'm, I'm not talking about like you want to be unique within the boundaries. I, that's fine. I'm talking about you're dancing on the edge morally. You're dancing on the edge ethically. You're dancing on the edge financially. You got a deal going on and your wife and kids don't know, but you're going to play both of that and it's all going to work out because you're different than everybody else and it's all going to have a happy ending. Or your parents don't know or your boss doesn't know. And you're outside the boundaries and you're liking it. And you're outside the lines and it is empowering. And you're outside the lines and there's, there's just nothing like it. I just want to talk to you a few minutes and let me give, kind of give you a heads up. My goal today isn't to talk you out of it which would be a waste of time because you're not going to let some message, you know, kind of wreck your life. And I'm not going to tell you anything you don't. I'm going to tell you one thing you didn't know. But other than that, this isn't going to be like, a really, it's bad for me. Smoking will kill me. You mean, really? You know, this isn't you already know. I mean, that's the great thing about the rebel. They're so smart. Have you ever tried to tell them something? (laughs) The rebel will never look at you and go, I didn't know that. If I had known that, I'll do that. They go, I know. I don't care. Read my lips. I don't care. Okay. So my goal isn't to try to get you to change anything. I do want to just tell you one thing that's going to be helpful. It's going to be helpful as you sort of go about your one of a kind. You know, nobody's going to stop me now kind of life. This will be helpful now and later. So I'm just going to share one principle with you. And the thing that the reason I want to talk about it is because the Bible has so much to say about rebels and the rebellion. It's amazing. In fact, the Bible explains how it got started. It talks about the Garden of Eden where we had the first act of rebellion. Now, this is kind of cool. Imagine being a rebel in the Garden of Eden. There's just one rule. 
See, the cool thing about being a rebel, now you can break rules every which way you go. There's always, but in the Garden of Eden, it's like, you know, what are we going to do? I don't know. There's no speed limit. You know, there's no roads. You know, there's nobody to, you know, just one rule. Just don't eat of the tree. Let's go eat of the tree. It's the only way to be a rebel. You know, so that's how the whole thing got started. Okay. And then from there, this is great. This is great. From there, the entire Old Testament is the story of rebels. I mean, the good, in fact, if you took your Bible and, and Grab the pages from First and Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, those six books of the Bible that perhaps you've never read. Those six books of the Bible, they're history, and they're all about the nation of Israel, and they're about dozens of men and women, kings and queens and all kinds of people who some of them obeyed God and some of them disobeyed. Most of them disobeyed. And it's really the story of what happens when powerful, wealthy people decide, you know what, I don't need the law and I don't need God, and I can control the outcomes. I can control the outcomes. I can control my destiny. And the whole, that whole big chunk of scripture is all about the rebels. So here's the thing. I, I know when you're kind of in the rebel zone, you feel like I'm one of a kind. Nobody's like me. But you, you start reading that, you realize, gosh, I'm not so unique after all. And here's the thing. God knows all about rebellion. And God knows all about rebels. There's no new information. And he's not up in heaven going, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, you know, because you read the Old Testament, you're going, yeah, he's been through this like over and over and over and over and over. So today we're going to actually look at one story of one king and we're going to learn this one really helpful principle about rebellion that whether you're in or out or headed into it or just coming out, it's going to be helpful. But let me just kind of give you the big picture. And if you're not going to listen to the rest of the sermon, you know, you just give me about five minutes and you check out. Here's the part for you. Then you can check out and draw notes or whatever text message and whatever you want to do. So let me just give you this. This is this is the one this is the one part you got to pay attention to. From God's perspective, I try to think of a good illustration. From God's perspective, the rebel looks a lot like um, the the um, the guy. He either had been turned on the news or turned on the television, or in the, or the news or your program gets interrupted, and there's a little commentator up in the corner, and then they show you from a helicopter a highway, and there's somebody who's on the highway running from the police. Uh, you remember this? You see this all the time. And the commentators up in the corner going, yeah, they're on I-95. They're headed east. Looks like Jim. Looks like they're driving about 95 miles. And, whoa, look at my, and you look on the screen and here's this little bitty black car. In and out of highway, in and out of traffic, in and out of traffic, in and out of traffic, in and out of traffic. And you're looking from the helicopter going, wow, look at that guy. go!" You know, Now, that is rebellion from God's perspective. See, inside the car, you know what's going on inside the car? Here's this one guy all by himself going 105 miles an hour with the music cranked up going... I'm going to escape. I'm going to outrun him because he looks in the rearview mirror. And what does he see? Nothing. He may, may be way back. There's like one police car. And he's thinking, born to be wild. You know, I, then I'm Jesse James. You know, I'm, I'm the Bonnie and Clyde. I've got it all rolled into one. And I'm getting, you know, nobody's going to stop me now. Meanwhile, we're at home eating our cereal, watching him. <laughs> From his perspective, I'm all alone. Maybe one little police car. They're never going to stop me. You're thinking, dude, not only did the police know where you are. Everybody in America knows where you are. And there's only one of three outcomes and we can't, we hope it's the worst one because that's the most fun thing to watch on television. You know, don't stop your car and jump over the guardrail and run up the hill like most idiots. I mean, don't do that one. Crash into something. We want to see a wreck. We want to see you crash into something. We want to see you fall out on the pavement, you know, bloody and the policeman, you know, do well, you know, we're all, this is exciting. But we know how it's going to end. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's only one of three options. You know, you crash into something and die. You crash into something and live. Or you park it and jump over the guardrail and run up the grass embankment and get caught. Or, you know, or the, the best one, the one I saw, maybe you saw this, from the helicopter. 
we see the guy jump out and run through a neighborhood and crawl into a dumpster to hide. <laughs> I'm thinking, my kids, everybody knows where you are. But you know what he's thinking? He's thinking. Now you, you can click on to whatever you want. I just want you to know, that's how your rebellion and my rebellion looks from God's perspective. Like, where do they think they're going to go? Where do they think they're going to hide? Is somehow they're going to outsmart God and this is all going to end? Do they not watch the news? Do they not know that all of these things kind of end the same way? I want to tell you the story today about the last king of Israel. This story is in the Old Testament, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there because I'm going to pull from three different books of the Bible that all put this story together. One of the great things about the Bible is it's so, it's so amazing. Ancient literature, there's nothing to compare to it in ancient literature because this particular story is found in the book of First, Second Kings and Second Chronicles. First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles tell the same story from different perspectives, different authors, but they tell the same story. That's unheard of in ancient literature. We have that. Then on top of that, if you've ever read through the Bible, you get to these all these Old Testament books that are named after people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea, you know, Amos and all these people. What those are, they're prophets. And the prophets actually were part of the stories of the kings of Israel. So you have first, second Chronicles, first, second Kings, which is like the story of all these different kings. Then you have these books of prophecy. And these prophets actually were in those stories and prophesying against or for those other kings. So it's a little complicated. So today I'm going to put it all together for you and tell you the story of the last last king of Israel. His name was Zedekiah. He was the last king of Israel. And his story is found in two narrative books of the Bible. And then there was a prophet that God sent into his life named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah spoke into Zedekiah's life. Let me kind of give you a little background. Um, David was the first king of Israel. Then his son um, um, Solomon was the second king of Israel. Then after that, things went really bad for Israel. And they split into two different nations, the northern country and the, and the southern one. The northern one retained the name Israel. The southern um, nation was called Judah. So you have two countries, they're all Jews, and, and they would fight each other. And then God would send these prophets to both kings, the king of the northern country and the southern country, to say, repent and turn back to me and don't rebel against my law, don't rebel against me. And the northern kingdom had so many bad kings that at about 700 B.C., God sent the Assyrians into the northern country of Israel, destroyed the whole country, shut it down, sent most of the leaders into captivity. Meanwhile, Judah, the southern nation, is like, whoa, we don't want that to happen to us. And God sent a, you know, a prophet and several prophets to, the, to Judah to say, now look, you saw what happened to your brothers up north. I'm serious. I'm God. I'm not going to put up with this forever. You've got to repent and turn back to me. This is, you know, you got a little short run here. And if you don't turn it around, I mean, I'll do to you what I did to them. And so, you know, they have good king and a bad king, good king and a bad king, good king and a bad king. So finally... Finally, um, things just got so bad that the, the um, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came into the southern kingdom of Judah, conquered it, carted off about 10,000 slaves, most of the royalty and the, the wealthy people. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in one little act of mercy, put a Jewish man on the throne in Judah. His name was Zedekiah. And Zedekiah was Jewish and related to the royal family. And he said, Zedekiah, this is, Ju- this is Israel's last chance, okay? If you don't rule well, and if you don't pay taxes and tribute to Babylon, I'm going to come back down here and I'm going to take you out and there will be no more Israel. 
So now Israel has one last chance. This is the last king of Israel. Has one last chance to submit to God's law, get things in order, restore temple sacrifice, and do things the right way. And God sends Jeremiah the prophet into Zedekiah's life to say, okay, Zedekiah, you look. Don't mess this up. Now, you, you don't have prophets in your life, but you have similar people. When you were a teenager, it was your parents, right? Um, some of you had people come knocking on your door saying, um, I know this is none of my business, but I noticed the other day you were out with so-and-so. Or I noticed the other day you're doing this thing, and it's none of my business. But you, that's going to bite you. I mean, that's going to come back and haunt you. And, and so we've, we've all known what it's like to have people just kind of interfere with our lives and sort of point out things we didn't want to know. And when you're in rebel zone, it's like, thank you, get out of here. You know, I don't want to hear it. I already knew that, but, but they come anyway. And that's kind of how the prophets were. They would show up at the most inopportune times to say to, you know, th- th- these kings, hey, you got to get your act together because God is not going to put up with this forever. And in that sense, in that sense, because you may have somebody like that in your life right now that just irritates you to death. In that sense, the prophet The friend, the parent, is actually an expression of the grace of God. Instead of just squashing you like a bug, God just sends warning signals and warning signals and warning signals. Why? Because he loves you. And in spite of the fact that there comes an end to rebellion, God is still a God of mercy and grace. Let me read you this story. It's it's pretty exciting, especially to end. um, Because, again, there's only one of three options. And this one ends really, really bad. So for those of you who like that when the car crashes, you're going to like this story. This is from Second Chronicles, chapter 36. And I'm just going to hop, skip and jump and read this to you. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became the king. And Nebuchadnezzar made him king. And he reigned in Jerusalem, the capital city, for 11 years. So he only got to be king 11 years. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. And then now, now, this is just unbelievable. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Time out. Okay, Zedekiah, look, if you want to be an idiot in, in, in your own city, that's one thing. But you don't rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me just tell you, if you don't know history, King Nebuchadnezzar was like basically almost ruled the known world. I mean, if there's somebody you mess with, it's not King Nebuchadnezzar. You just kind of keep him happy and throw a few tax dollars his way. Keep him out of your country. But Zedekiah, after a few years, he got all bowed up and so proud. And he's thinking, I got an army, too. I got an army. I use my army. Hey, you come down here and mess with me, Nebuchadnezzar. I got an army. And he got all proud. And you read the story. And even, you know, you, you, if you know the context, you think, oh, stupid idea. But let me just tell you an observation. And maybe you've made this as well. When we get in rebel mode, eventually, not initially, eventually, we do stupid things. We just do. That's why you got, we watch the guy on the television thinking, what are you thinking? He's not. What is she thinking? She's not. You have friends that are messing around morally and you're thinking, OK, what do you think somehow this is going to have a happy ending? Well, what are they thinking? They're not. When you get out from underneath God's canopy of protection and when you rebel against the law of God's knowingly or unknowingly, you may not even know what God's law is. Eventually, you will make some stupid decisions driven by your arrogance and your pride and your assumption that you are too cool for everything and everybody else and everybody else may get caught, but not you. You are way too slick. It's just a matter of time. 
So Zedekiah, you know, he's the king. Nobody's going to mess with the king. I'm not going to let some other king tell me what to do. So he breaks the covenant and the contract he has with Nebuchadnezzar, basically king of the world, who, by the way, has already conquered this country once just a few years ago. He's the one who actually allowed Zedekiah to be king. And again, you read the story and think, you know, what are you thinking? This is just what happens in rebel mode. Verse 13. Again, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He, Nebuchadnezzar made Zedekiah take an oath in Zedekiah's God's name that he wouldn't rebel. And he became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now I'm switching over to 2 Kings um, chapter 25 where the story picks up. So, in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, so Zedekiah was got to be in rebel mode for about nine years, and the music's blared, and he's the king, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, and I've got an army too. About nine years later, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar himself, he came himself, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem, and check this out, with his whole army. Now... Nebuchadnezzar's whole army basically meant his army was the compilation of hundreds and dozens and dozens and dozens rather of nations and armies he had destroyed up until this point in history. When Nebuchadnezzar's whole army shows up, it's all you can see in every direction. And to make a point, Nebuchadnezzar shows up with his whole army and Nebuchadnezzar was really smart. Listen to what he did. He marched against Jerusalem with his whole army and he didn't attack Jerusalem. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. And the city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. Do you know what he did? He just surrounded the city and then they just kind of camped out and had a party and roasted marshmallows and hot dogs for two years instead of attacking. So inside Zedekiah and his army, I've got an army too. Come on, bring it on. Nebuchadnezzar goes, no, we're not going to bring it on. We're just going to starve you to death. And for two years, nobody went in the city and nobody came out. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're in rebel zone, rebel mode? And all of a sudden, just outside the city walls of your life, you see the consequences starting to move in your direction. What do you do? You know what the rebels do? Zedekiah is a great example of this. I mean, he's not going to surrender and go, oh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I repent. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. We've got to figure out how to manage outcomes, manage outcomes, manage outcomes, manage outcomes. So Zedekiah, he's heard from Jeremiah two or three times by this time. It's like, you shut him up, shut him up, shut him up. So now he's going, whoo, whoa, 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 okay, what do I do? What do I do? How do I manage the outcome? So he calls Jeremiah. And actually, he calls for Jeremiah and he sends some messengers and he says, look, I want you to go get Jeremiah and see if I can get Jeremiah to get God to do me a favor. So now we're in Jeremiah 21. And here's how Jeremiah accounts this incident. Jeremiah 21, verse two, Zedekiah sends a message now inquire, inquire now of the Lord for us. Because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. It's like Jeremiah's going, oh, really? So that's what that horde of people is all around the city, you know? That's why I have dirt to eat, you know? Right, got it. Perhaps, check this out. So you've prayed this kind of prayer. Perhaps the Lord will perform wonders for us. That's the third time he said that. As in the past, so he will, they will withdraw from us. See, When you in rebel zone see the consequences of your decisions starting to gather around the city walls. I mean, everything's okay inside. You're still large and in charge and everything's, you know, you're still going to stay in the zone. But when you begin to see and I begin to see the consequences happening, we pray, don't we? I mean, rebels pray. Your parents would be shocked to know that. But you pray, right? Your boss and friends and ex-wife would be shocked to know that you pray. But you pray. You pray prayers like this. Oh, God. I know we haven't talked in a long time, but. 
please don't let her find out. Please don't let her find out. Please, please, please. If you don't let her find out, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up on child support. I'll, um, I, you know, there, God, let's, let's just do this. Let's just make a deal. God, or, or, have you ever prayed this? God, please don't let me be pregnant. Please don't let me be pregnant. Oh, God, please, please, please. I'm sorry. I know I've done a lot of stuff, but please, please, please. See, the rebels pray because when it seems that possibly they can't manage outcomes, they realize that they've got to reach outside of themselves. Now, they're not going to surrender. Oh, no, 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 no. Now, I'm still in charge. But God, as he says, I just need you to do something for us. I just need you momentarily. I need a little God in my life. No, we're not going to like the whole thing, but just a little kind of God thing there, here and there to kind of settle things back down. Please don't let my teacher find out. Please don't let him look on my computer. Please don't let him know. Please don't let him get my report card. Please don't let him call the office and check. You know, please don't let him let my wife look at get their credit card deal before it gets there. You know, however your thing is. In other words, you pray, but but you only pray. When it seems that maybe you can't manage outcomes anymore. So that's what Zedekiah does. He gets Jeremiah and says, look, Jeremiah, would you please ask God to bail me out? I'm not even going to promise to do anything right. I just need for God to bail me out. Back to um, Jeremiah uh, 21, verse 3. So Jeremiah sends an answer back to Zedekiah. Here's the answer. Jeremiah answered them, the group that came to him to get the word from Jeremiah. Tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in anger and fury and great wrath. I will strike down those who live in this city, both men and animals, and they will die of a terrible plague is that what he said that's what he said well listen zedekiah it's a really cool story zedekiah gets so mad at jeremiah he puts him in jail it's like the person who comes to you and tells you the truth and you hate them and you won't answer their phone or you know text message you're not gonna you're just i don't want to hear that i know they're right i don't want to hear it so anyway it's kind of funny read the whole story he throws jeremiah in jail and every time Jeremiah sees Zedekiah walk by, he keeps talking. And after that, declares the Lord, I will hand over Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials and the people of this city who survived the plague, to sword and famine, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to their enemies who seek their lives. He just keeps yelling. And so, true story, Zedekiah gets so mad at Jeremiah, he puts him in a well. And he will put them to the sword. He keeps preaching to the sword and he will show them no mercy or pity or compassion. Anybody up there? He just is going to keep prophesying. And Zedekiah is like, get this guy out of my life. I don't want to hear this. Well, uh, your honor, you, I know I ask him. That's not the answer I was looking for. And then listen to this. Verse eight. In the midst of all this chaos, there's going to be a famine and hadn't eaten, you know, hadn't anything coming around the city in two years. Listen to God. Just kind of sneak this in. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Now, listen, listen. if you're like in rebel mode, you got to hear this because this is that grace thing. Verse nine, whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine or plague. If you stay in the city, you will die. That's my promise. God says, just count on it. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you will live. He will escape with his life. Zedekiah, people of Israel, you have one good option. Surrender. Surrender. Don't, don't commit to me now. It's too late for that. Surrender. Your only hope is to surrender. 
I have determined to do this city's harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and he will destroy it with fire. And you will all die here unless you'll open that city gate and you'll surrender. You'll just face the consequences of what you've done. So what does a rebel do? See, let me just give you a heads up about your life. You either choose to surrender or you're forced to surrender. You choose to surrender or you're forced to surrender. And if you're forced to surrender, you just carry more scars, waste more time and have more bad memories. If you choose to surrender, there are still consequences and there are still scars. But they're lessened. They're less than. And when you choose to surrender, you have the option to choose to throw yourself on the mercy of God. As opposed to being backed into a corner where you have no choice but to throw yourself on the mercy of God. So what does Zedekiah do? Well, fortunately for those of us who like big dramatic endings, he just says, no way, I'm not going out there. I'm going to stay here. And if they ever decide to fight, we'll fight. And keep Jeremiah out of my face. Second Kings chapter 25. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for people to eat. Verse 4. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. So, you know, Zedekiah's big fierce army, as soon as there was an opportunity, they fled in the middle of the night and left the city defenseless. They fled toward Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered and he was captured. And he was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentences where sentence was pronounced on him. And they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. And the last thing he saw on this earth were his children being butchered by Nebuchadnezzar. What was that? Here's something you need to know about rebellion, okay? This is huge. Rebellion isolates you, but it does not insulate you. This is huge. Rebellion always isolates you. It does not insulate you. It isolates you because you think I am a category of one and I am unstoppable and nobody's going to catch up. Nobody's going to be. No, I, I, you know, it isolates you and you really believe the story you've created for yourself. But the truth is, it does not insulate you from life and it does not insulate you from consequence and it does not insulate you from the garbage you've created in your relationships. And it does not insulate you from the financial mess that's trailing around behind you and isn't too far behind. That is in in rebel mode. I think I can outrun it, outpace it and control outcomes, outrun it, outpace it and control outcomes. But what you need to know is even though your rebellion has isolated you, you think. You know, I can keep my family where my family needs to keep and I can kind of manage this and keep them at bay. I can it isolates you and you feel so, you know, invulnerable that, you know, nothing's going to get to you. You need to know you feel isolated, but you're not insulated from life. 
You just think you are. And so Zedekiah is safe behind his walls thinking, you know, you know I, I can create my own reality. Until that night he gets word that his army is leaving. And if he's going to leave, he better leave with them. And suddenly life is spinning out of control. And the events and circumstances he was just sure he had insulated himself from. All caught up with him in a single night. It's only for so long. You isolate, but you can't isolate. Here's, here's the great news. In rebel mode, you isolate yourself from God. But the great news is you cannot insulate yourself from, from God. It's impossible. The last thing you want in your life is a preacher or a prophet or a church or some Christian or some verse or some, here, read this book or listen to this CD. Okay, you know, you, you don't want, you don't want any of that because, you know, I, you know, there's a, some of that rings true. And I don't even like the message today. You know, you're kind of looking around the room. This isn't for me. You know, again, loser preacher. You know, you, that, you want so much to isolate yourself from God. But here's the great news. You can't insulate yourself from God. It's absolutely impossible. And as much as Zedekiah thought he had the whole deal going on for several years, God's going, look, look, you can play that game. But eventually you're going to peer over the walls and there are the consequences And here's something amazing, and this may not be great to you, but I think this is so cool. Did you know about 200 or 300 yards from this spot where this story took place? Just a few hundred yards. 400 years later, a guy would show up named John, and he says, i got some great news. God has finally sent the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God that's going to take away all the sins of the whole world. That God has sent his son to this rebel race not to pay them back, But to win them back. Because God has a history of loving the rebels. And God has a history of standing just outside the walls. Just beyond the consequences. And waiting them out. Waiting them out to either come out and surrender. Or waiting them out until they finally face the consequences of their decisions. And once they're broken... And busted up. And all that false sense of self is deflated. And all those consequences finally just surround him and take him down. God has sent his son. Not to pay back because sin and rebellion has its own payback. God has sent his son into this world. To win back the rebel race. Because he's in love with the rebel race. Isn't that amazing? You see, the incredible thing is that regardless of where you are and where you've been and where you are in that whole process, that at the end of the day, when you either throw up your hands and surrender and face what you've got to face, or you're forced into the corner and you have to face what it is you're going to face, at the end of that day, the Bible says there is a God who has invited you to call him Father, who loves you so much he sent his son into the world to die for you, even though he watched your pointless little fetal race down the highway with the music blaring, knowing that there's only one or two or three outcomes, and he sent his son to die for you anyway. And in the moment you throw up your hands in surrender, not commitment, not let's do a deal, in surrender, then your heavenly father will get re-engaged in your life, not with that you that you've created, but with the little boy and the little girl that's in every single one of us. See, bottom line is this. Rebellion is common. Rebellion is costly. It is, every time. Rebellion's common. You're not as unique as you may think you are. Rebellion is costly. And so, for one minute, if I could take on the role of the prophet, here's what I would say to you. Why not go ahead and repent now? 
Why not go ahead and throw open the gate and just come out with your hands up? Why not peer over the wall and say, yep, the storm clouds are gathering. The armies are encircling inside my walls. I can still play the game. But if I'm honest, the consequences are starting to rack up and count up and mount up around me. And I can wait until I'm forced into the corner or I can face the inevitable. And I can throw open the gates of my life and I can walk out. And I can come clean. I can be honest. I can quit pretending. And I can surrender. And when you do, your heavenly father is there to meet you. And he won't erase all the scars because the scars are reminders to you and to others of the cost of rebellion. But his grace will be sufficient for you if you throw up your hands and surrender. So today, would you just repent? Would you drop that relationship? Would you face the creditors? Would you make that call? Would you just get out of that relationship? It's going to end messy. There's no non-messy way to end a bad relationship. It is messy. Just acknowledge it's messy. Would you just end the relationship? Would you have that conversation? Would you call your son? Would you go home and sit down with your mom and dad and say, Okay, I don't even know where to start. Would you just surrender? Because your heavenly father is an expert at managing the consequences of a rebel race. And he would like to get that involved in your life.